from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you're free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. I encourage you to join the conversation. We're talking about a lot of things tonight, not the least of which is going to be a, a conversation that we're going to have on personal finance and uh, the path to building wealth, which is always important, especially during these trying times of inflation. But we're also going to talk about something called the quarter life crisis, something that women in their 20s are facing. I didn't even know this was a thing. So we're going to get to that uh, in in hour number two. And um, a little bit after this, we're going to talk about some January 6th. Apparently, there was a a leaked audio, yeah, or a video actually, uh, and the daughter of S- former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Alexandra Pelosi, who's a filmmaker, uh, she's been caught on tape refuting the January 6th narrative that was put out there by the media. Uh, in in fact, she admitted that the January 6th protests were not an insurrection, and she said that uh, that some of the courts in D.C. were too biased. So uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit as well. But I want to talk about some of the headlines that are going on across the country right now because it is Friday night and everybody's letting their hair down. Some of you guys are cracking open a beer. Others of you pouring a glass of wine. The rest of you aren't even home. You're at dinner somewhere and you're probably not even listening to me. (laughs) So shame on you. Make sure you uh, catch the replay. And uh, if you miss any of the interviews that we do, you can always listen to the podcast and make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, But former President Trump is going to be visiting East Palestine next week, uh, you know, to see what's going on with all of the uh, the crazy that's going on there. And the EPA official that was sent there today, along with Governor DeWine, uh, said, no, no, you can drink the city water. You just can't drink the well water. Um, so there's a little distinction there. And John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, is scheduled to be in the hospital for weeks. They're uh, anticipating that he'll be there for several weeks to treat depression. And that's according to a senior aide. Now, listen. I don't know a lot about this person's medical history, obviously, right? I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose him. But I am going to say, Fetterman looked really rough, and he was in bad shape, and they pushed him to his limit. And we talked about this a little bit the other night, but it's back in the news, so I want to discuss it. And I find it unconscionable that your family, your own family, for the sake of maintaining power, would allow you to put yourself out there. And it seems like he's worked himself to the bone to try to win, which, you know, eventually he did win. But now he's trying to to do the job of a U.S. senator where they said, you, you're, you've got this clean bill of health and you're good to go. But lamentably, he can't do it. And I think it's only a matter of time before he steps aside and the governor appoints somebody to fulfill that that Senate seat. But it's, it's just a shame that they're doing this to a human being. And really, uh, in my opinion, I feel badly about this. And I wonder when they say we're sending somebody to the hospital to be treated for depression. How do you know it's just going to take weeks? Is this just a guess? How do you know it's not going to take months? How do you know it's not going to take, you know, a week? I just find it interesting. Maybe he's been through this before. Maybe he's bipolar and he needs to get, you know, um, his meds regulated. And that could take a couple of weeks. Um, Whatever it is, 
I feel bad for the guy. I don't wish that upon anybody. He's not an enemy of mine, even though he may espouse things that I, I, I disagree with. I, I don't hate this guy. I don't even know this guy. But I will say I think they're handling this uh, poorly. Um, and I also think the depression thing may not even be real. It may be just, you know, he's exhausted. He needs um, help with his stroke. And, you know, maybe he needs uh, some more intense physical therapy. Maybe his coordination is off. Maybe he's having uh, slurred speech and needs speech therapy or occupational therapy to get back the dexterity in his hands or uh, the being a limber person that can get in and out of a car or in and out of a Senate building uh, easily without um, a lot of motor skill delay. So uh, making sure everything works. And I think that's probably what they're doing. And they're saying that they're doing it uh, in the name of depression because I think so many people know somebody that's clinically depressed that it makes a lot of sense to use that as a guise because nobody's going to beat you up for that. You're going to say you're depressed. Now, some, is somebody really going to come to you and say, oh, what's wrong with you? Depressed? Come on. What the hell's wrong with you? Nobody's going to do that, right? I think most people are going to accept that. So that's my thought on the uh, Fetterman uh, angle. Now, there was something else I wanted to bring up here. And when you go digital, I'm green here, by the way. I'm very green. I try not to print a ton of things, so I leave a lot of things open on my desktop. And then boom, bang, boom, you can't find everything when you want to. Uh, but the uh, the big quote of the day that was coming out of, um, of Ohio was, I trust the science. The EPA official says he would let his kids drink the water from East Palestine. And I think uh, we have a, a clip of audio with respect to this drinking water somewhere. I'm going to try and track it down. But I think it's, you have to inspire confidence with people, right? If you don't inspire confidence, where are you? And how, how is anyone ever going to trust that the government has at least some semblance of wanting to do good by the people, right? I mean, if, if, if you want to not trust the government, don't look too far. You can just have um, good old Senator, or excuse me, Vice President, Kamala Harris, who I like to call Kemala Eres. Now, Kemala Eres, she um, she always has abysmal low poll numbers, but that doesn't stop her. She also makes crazy statements. I'm looking at this one, cup number 13, where she says that Joe Biden is probably one of the boldest and strongest American presidents we've ever had. Can you believe that? Listen to this. What I know from traveling our country is the American people want leaders who will see what's going on in their lives and create solutions, not just offer solutions, but create solutions. And in Joe Biden, we have a president who is probably one of the boldest and strongest American presidents we have had in his response to the needs of the American people. Wow. The needs of the American people, Madam Kemalaitis, Vice President, is we need inflation to kind of uh, go back to where it was when Trump was in office. We need a strong leader that's going to deter, deter, not defeat, but deter Putin and other aggressors from taking parts of countries that don't belong to them. I mean, this is what the American people need. We need that to, to stabilize things. We need a government that, that is, is proactive and, and of the people, for the people, by the people. That's not what we have today. And I think everybody knows it. So I just think it's incredibly unfortunate that uh, she makes these statements and nobody from the media says, and what are these uh, achievements when, when you talk about, you know, um, the strongest American president we've had 
in his response to the needs of the American people. What, what need is she talking about? I don't know. You let me know. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Like I said, we're going to talk about, let's see, we're talking about personal finance. We're talking about this something called the quarter-life crisis where anxiety takes over young women. We're going to get to the bottom of what's causing that and how to deal with it. And we're going to find out about a special announcement from the founder of the walkaway movement, Brandon Strzok. He's got a uh, a, a new video uh short video series that's out and he's going to explain that to us as you guys know he was held in captivity for january 6th for just being near the capitol not even in the capitol so uh, we're going to get his take on a few things and get his reaction to alexandra pelosi's bombshell statements um bombshell not being my word but one i read from one of the articles here and uh, see what that's all about, where she says it's not really an insurrection. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, I wanted to get into this story about this former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, her daughter, uh, has made some comments. And the comments that she's made are, are they're pretty interesting because, well, because they seem to not ring true with what she'd been saying, right? That this is an insurrection, that this is the worst thing ever, uh, all sorts of uh, bad things are happening. And interestingly enough, her filmmaker daughter, who's a documentarian, says that she, um, you know, she has a different opinion. So I'm going to get, uh, we're going to play some of that audio uh, in a moment so that you could hear it, because I, I think it's interesting to, to hear her um, her take, you know, like in one clip, and maybe I can just play this one pretty quickly. Um, she she talks about the guy that had the helmet on with the horns. The, the, they called him the QAnon shaman. And she says that the shaman did nothing wrong and he got 41 months in jail. Listen to this. Sometimes I say eight months was, a, was great. Was. Considering that the shaman who did not, I mean, what did the shaman do? He stood there. What did Paul do? He stood there. The shaman got how many months? 41. Compared to eight. So if I, when I saw that, I was, and I think that the government is going to go for more, that they're going to look to get bigger. Like people are criticizing some of the. People right, that right. Can, a lot of people have been getting probation and stuff. So I think they're looking to make people like I think if Paul went now, he'd get a bigger, a longer sentence. What, what did he do? do? Okay, what did he do? He went. He just he walked in with the Trump flag into the Senate. That's it. That's it. That's, That's it. it. And he got. So I don't know if eight months was was good or bad. Well, I can tell you it's bad. It's bad when you take a crazy guy like the shaman and give him that much jail time uh, just for walking around with a flag. But somebody that never went inside the Capitol, somebody that was near the Capitol, just being outside the Capitol, doing like a Instagram live or some sort of live stream, 
gotten a lot of trouble, and that's somebody's Brandon Strzok. He's from the Walkaway, uh, the Walkaway campaign, and his website is brandonstrzok.com. That's Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A.com. And Brandon Strzok is with us tonight. Brandon Strzok, welcome to the program. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet, brother. So uh, I, I want to get first your reaction here. So you've got Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Alexandra Pelosi, uh, saying that the QAnon shaman did nothing wrong and he still got 41 months in jail. She's uh, very clearly criticizing how aggressive the government is being in prosecuting people. And I think uh, of all people, you're an expert in this. Yeah, well, I mean, isn't that something? It's it's quite a video where, where she says a number of things that are really quite striking. I mean, especially when you stop to consider that it's her mother, Nancy Pelosi, who's been probably one of the primary voices calling this an insurrection, comparing this event to Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and insisting that anyone involved, you know, spend years, possibly decades in, in federal prison for this insurrection. You've got Nancy Pelosi's daughter on video literally laughing about the notion that this could be considered an insurrection, saying things like, you know, if these cases were tried anywhere else in the United States, you guys would walk, you would get off. Well, I can tell, I'm not laughing. I don't think most J6ers are laughing. I don't think most people who've had their lives destroyed by what Nancy Pelosi and, and her, her pals in D.C. have done to people. I don't think they're laughing. Uh, but I'm glad to know that Nancy Pelosi's daughter thinks it's so funny. Now, Brandon, I want to make sure that everybody knows what's going on here. So we'll play some more of the Alexandra Pelosi audio later. Later, But I want everybody to know exactly what happened to you. And you've been on the program before and shared that story. But if you could quickly, briefly uh, bring us up to speed with what happened and how they treated you. Right. Well, so the first thing I'll say is you, you mentioned something about a, a, an Instagram live or a live video. So I, first of all, I wasn't even filming a live video. Uh, and the reason why that's an important distinction is that mm-hmm. I consciously I consciously made a decision to upload the video that I shot to my social media account. So I, I stood. Ah, right, right. That was what it was. Yeah. So I stood outside of the east side of the Capitol for eight minutes and I shot a video of two large open doors on the east side. And there was a crowd of, uh, you know, several hundred people outside. Some of the people were trying to walk in. Uh, most people like me were filming a video. And uh, like I said, I was there for eight minutes. I uploaded it to Twitter and then I deleted it uh, when I start when I got back to my hotel room that night. And I started to see on the news footage of the violence that had taken place on the west side of the Capitol, which was the other side of where I was. And, um, but, the, but it had lived on Twitter for a couple of hours, and that was enough time for Twitter trolls to copy it. And uh, then they started re, uh, reposting it and tagging the FBI. And based off of the, you know, th- there were people in the video who were trying to go in and stuff. So the FBI saw my video. And decided, oh, you know, he's in restricted grounds and disorderly conduct. Next thing I knew, I got FBI raided, handcuffed and taken to jail. And I spent several days in jail. And when I got out, I learned that the federal government had charged me with multiple felonies and a misdemeanor. And were also charging me with a felony of obstruction of Congress, even though I never entered the building, never went inside, stood outside filming the entire time, voluntarily uploaded my video to Twitter um, and, uh, I was potentially facing three felonies and a misdemeanor. What was it like when you were being held? I, it was horrible. I mean, 
So the FBI came, got me, took me to jail, and I went in there. And uh, within the first couple of hours, I, you know, I was taken into a concrete stall. Uh, I had to take all of my clothes off. I stood there naked while a stranger came and brought me a brown T-shirt, a brown pair of uh, underwear, and an orange jumpsuit and plastic sandals. And after I put the orange uh, prison uniform on, then they took me into a room called medical where a nurse guard, you know, a complete stranger came at me with a syringe in their hand and said uh, that I had to give them my arm and that all new inmates in the, in the jail system have to take a TB test. Now, this is at a time when we're, you know, having a debate in this country about bodily autonomy and vaccine shots and things like this. And, uh, you know, just literally two hours before this, I was asleep in my bed, a normal person. Now I have a complete stranger putting a needle into my arm and injecting a substance into my body uh, because I'm an inmate in an orange uniform. And from there, they took me upstairs into a cell and they put me in 23 hour lockdown in a concrete room with a metal door uh, while I awaited uh, a hearing to decide if if the government was going to seek detention or not seek detention in my 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 insurrection case. Wow. Folks, we're on with Brandon Strzok. Um, you can check him out at Brandon Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A.com. Uh, make sure you get that spelling right so you can check out the website, uh, founder of the Walkaway Campaign. And uh, we're going to continue to hear everything he's got to say. He's uh, got an announcement about a video, um, a short film, really, that, that's out there that we're going to talk about in the subsequent segment. And we're also going to get the reaction to the rest of the crazy Alexandra Pelosi audio. And Brandon Strzok, you know, I just find it so um, remarkable that it, it, this doesn't get more attention when you have, um, and again, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but when you have someone like Alexandra Pelosi, who's, you know, pretty prominent filmmaker and, and well-known in the D.C. circuit and in California, uh, and makes these comments, and yet it, it's you, you've got to go to obscure blogs and things like that to, to to see any type of coverage on it. It's not on the cover of the New York Times. It's not on the cover of, of any of the big major publications. And I know it doesn't come as a shock to you, nor does it to me, but uh, I, I still find it disconcerting. How about you? Yeah, absolutely, I do. But I mean, then you, when you look at the bigger picture, you think, well, you know, the conservative media. I mean, we couldn't even get the Hunter Biden story out. You know, it, it's very difficult to get any any story out in, in the conservative media that doesn't fit the left wing media narrative. Yep, that's 100 percent true. All right, folks, we're coming straight back to you. Your calls and more. 8334-VALDEZ is the phone number. 8334-825337. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. We've got Brandon Strzok. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're on with Brandon Strzok, founder of the Walkaway Campaign. And um, you can get him at Brandon Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A dot com uh, if you want to check out his website. Brandon Strzok, so we're talking about the the video that you've got. You've put out one part of it. You've got another part coming out over the weekend. Uh, let's talk about this big announcement from the Walkaway Campaign. Yeah, sure. So it's actually a three-part short film And the entire film is about five minutes long. So we're talking about like a five-minute video that's cut into three different parts. I put out part one two days ago. Part two came out today. And then part three is the conclusion on Sunday. And we call it The American Prisoner. Uh, It's basically each piece is a very different style. The The first part, even though it's only just a minute, minute and a half long, is very kind of suspenseful and intense. Uh, the second one is sort of action adventure with a little bit of comedy in it. And then the third one is almost like a Quentin Tarantino style. Uh, you'll just have to see for yourself. That one comes out on Sunday. And at the conclusion of it, people will finally uh, be able to sort of understand what this has all been leading up to, which is that we're making a huge announcement Sunday night. I love for people to you know get on social media and make sure they find out. But I'll give you a little bit of a sneak preview uh, tonight for your audience and tell you, that the big announcement basically revolves around the fact that we are completely relaunching the walkaway movement and the the video testimonial campaign that people loved so much from 2018 to 2020 before Facebook banned it in uh, January of 2021. Uh, My team and I have been working really, really hard at, um, at building our own platform that people can join and, and rebuild our community and rebuild the testimonial campaign so Sunday night at the conclusion of part three of the American Prisoner, I'm going to tell the world how we're bringing Walkaway back on March 1st. Now, listen, I remember that. Um, and, and interestingly enough, as much as I'm in this business and I try to keep up to speed with what's happening in the news and whatnot, I remember getting a text message from my brother. And he said, man, this thing is awesome. You got to watch this video. And it was the video of you talking about your story and how you walked away from from the liberal left and the Democrat Party. And it, it was yeah. just um, it was a really well done video. But the timing was right. Uh, you, the way you put it together was fantastic. And so you're saying you're, you're going to expand that, relaunch this so that more people can continue to say, hey, look, here's why I walked away. It's exactly right. And. You know, it's by the time that Facebook took Walkaway down, and I want to be really clear, there was literally no reason. We were never like there was not a, a violative post. There wasn't, you know, there was, it was no one was talking about violence or or anything that could be construed as against uh, terms of service. This was the most honest, genuine, heartfelt 
I think, community in the world. And we had grown to over 510,000 people in the Facebook group. We had thousands of walkaway videos and, and written testimonials. And they were beautiful and they were inspirational and they were they were heartwarming and uplifting. And then I think, you know, when when big tech decided to start mass banning hundreds of thousands of conservative accounts, including Donald Trump on January Mm -hmm. 8th, um, you know, it was it it was that day. It was January 8th. My team and I uh, woke up. We went to go to work. We opened the, the group and all of us had our personal Facebook accounts banned and the walkaway account walkaway campaign group was banned. It was gone. And so just like that, all of that content, all of that community, everything that we'd built for years was gone. And so what we're doing now is creating our own autonomous platform that we own ourselves. Well, we're not creating, it's created. We did it. It's done. We're launching it. And it's really cool because people are going to be able to go to the uh, app store on Apple and the Google play store and load the app into their phones, their mobile devices. They can go to the web and they can join our community and, and join our groups and then start uploading those testimonials again. And once again, get their voice back and start telling their stories. It's going to be really incredible. Folks, we're on with Brandon Strzok. Uh, he's founder of the Walkaway Campaign. And I think this is great. And this is honestly what you have to do. Um, it's so important that people have this ability to connect with people because, I mean, this kind of got really sloppy for a lot of people, right? There, I, I've heard of people whose email providers said, hey, we're not letting you do email blasts anymore because we don't like what you're talking about. I've heard of um, payment processing companies saying, nope, we're not going to let you accept donations anymore because we don't like what you're doing. I mean, I, we've seen censorship from from all over the place, and it's uh, it's really unfortunate. And you kind of have to create your own way of doing things so that nobody can take it away from you. That's right. And it's not even just, you know, the, the potential risk of getting banned or whatever. It's as Walkaway became more and more successful and more and more popular, it, it became more and more restricted. So it, it was bizarre because, you know, in, in the first year, by the end of the first year, I think we had something like 200,000, 210 or 20,000, something like that. And so it, it was already getting pretty big. But the funny thing was the bigger it got, the less people saw the content. So you have people on Facebook, you know, it was growing to 200,000, 300,000, you know, and it was very active. I mean, people would post a video and those videos would get hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of views, you know, tens of thousands of, of reactions and things. But as time went on, people were saying, we don't see walkaway content anymore. You know, like it's, it's just not there. And by the time we got, you know, 510,000 people, People were telling us we, we never see walkaway posts. We never see walkaway videos in our, our feed. The algorithm is weeding them out on purpose. Well, this is going to allow people to come to our platform, and that's all they're going to see. So anytime you want to see walkaway content, you just push that button, enter our little, you know, our realm in our, in our app, and that's all you're going to see is video after video after video and story after story of people telling these incredible stories about why they can no longer be a Democrat, why they can no longer abide by the ideology of liberalism and the liberal media. People have had enough, and uh, these stories are amazing, and it's time for them to come back. All right, folks, we're on with Brandon Strzok, and straight ahead we're going to continue with some of that uh, Alexandra Pelosi 
audio where she's interviewing uh, another J6 defendant who just does keeps coming up short with juicy answers for her. <laughs> so we're going to get Brandon's reaction to some of that as well. If you have a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I, I know you're not the bad guy. I mean, if there is, I haven't found the bad guy yet, but if there is, I know well, you're not the bad guy. guy. I mean, he's like a stereotypical bad guy. But I, the, the thing is, why I asked you the question of like, so what was the plan, is that if there was, a, if there was an insurrection, you were, you were supposed to be in line Marching. You're in the military, you know right. this. No, that's not so, Exactly, it's called operations You sit down like, overnight with your soldiers, you go right. over, all right, you're going to go here, you're going to go in by this side, at this time we're going to take over this, there was none of that. If it was an insurrection, it's the sorriest insurrection in, in the, the 20th, 21st century ever. No guns, a no guy, land, a guy, people taking selfies. A guy smoking pot. Uh, 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 I love the guy yeah, smoking pot. Uh, <laughs> she loves the guy smoking pot. That's Alexandra Pelosi reacting to uh, the uh, the statement by a January 6th defendant saying that this is the sorriest insurrection ever. No guns, no plan, just a guy smoking pot. Brandon Strzok is our guest. Brandon Strzok, when you hear that, uh, isn't it just so telling that eventually the truth comes out? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I would like to believe that the truth will come out. I mean, I think that there's a lot of truths about January 6th that um, that we need to know. I mean, I think that we need to understand uh, how many uh, agitators were planted in the crowd ahead of time. I think we need to understand how the whole thing began in the first place. I think we need to understand why uh, there, the, the National Guard was not brought in when, when Trump had, had suggested that they should be. Why were the Capitol Police left uh, basically so unprepared for what was going to happen? I mean, there's just so many truths that need to be revealed. And this really we, this needs a proper investigation. I mean, people need to really, really find dig in and find out. I mean, that J6 committee was ridiculous. That, that was literally a committee with a purpose of trying to to pin on Trump any sort of blame for anything that happened, but no actual interest in getting to the bottom of these questions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of innocent people have had their lives destroyed in what is really, I think, a political maneuver to try to damage Trump and his, his supporters. Yeah, I agree with you 100 uh, percent with respect to the committee. And, and I, I just I find it so um, interesting that uh, it, even somebody as close to Pelosi as her daughter, you know, bearing her name, would would even have such a differing opinion, uh, because I think that the narrative was, you know, created to be so strong. And it, it was coming out of Washington. It was in the media. It was everywhere you turned. This is an insurrection. And they only started to soften that language when they started the committee and lost the word insurrection and called it the attack on the Capitol. And and I found that interesting. And I think they realized they probably, you know, did a uh, a focus group test and said, you know what, this isn't polling well. This doesn't seem to work. And that's why we're going to go with uh, with softer language, my opinion. But 
I, I just I do find it interesting, and I think it's even more interesting what she's criticizing here, the fact that there wasn't a plan, that it, they weren't armed, and, and there wasn't any type of, uh, even though there's thousands and thousands of people there, there wasn't um, a real uh, concerted effort by all of those people, minus a handful of people that already got either got in trouble or, like you mentioned, the people that were let in or flagged to come into the, to the Capitol. So I, I agree with you. There's a ton of questions. And and it's it's also interesting to note why or how the the National Guard uh, not, it wasn't that they were deployed late. Uh, they, they were approved late. Right. So I think Trump approved them pretty early and said, hey, I'm down. But um, it was Pelosi and Mayor Bowser who rejected that offer until whenever they felt like they couldn't reject it anymore. And we had um, the secretary of defense from at the day of that time, uh, January 6th, Chris Miller. And it was very interesting. He said that they were kind of cowering like a bunch of old people and uh, they were kind of incoherent in his conversations with them. So it just seems like a very hectic day. And, uh, you know, I think it didn't go as they planned. At least that's my thinking. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think that if you look throughout 2020, there were a number of things that happened that entire year, including uh, a, a a rally in uh, let me, Michigan. Yes, it was in the state of Michigan. Um, there was a reopen America rally. And at some point during the day, the doors of the Capitol got opened and a lot of the rally goers ended up inside the Capitol. And it kind of turned into a little bit of a scandal. Now, nothing happened, you know, that no one heard there was no or anything. They ultimately came to realize many months later is that there were a number of FBI operatives on the ground and that uh, it's you know speculated that a lot of these people were instrumental in getting the crowd inside the Capitol. And so the question has been asked, was that a, a test run of sorts to try to see you know what is required to get a crowd to go inside a building where they're not supposed to be? Wow. And yeah. And um Again, you know, these these are the kind of things that I think people need to know and people need to understand, Um, because I can tell you when I arrived at the Capitol, which was two thirty nine p.m. So I I arrived almost 20 minutes after they had cleared Congress. So the session was completely over. Now, to be clear, I didn't know that I did not know that they had cleared Congress, but they had. And when I arrived, the doors on the east side of the Capitol were already opened. So I got there and people were saying, they've opened the doors. They're letting us in. They're letting us in. And that's when I walked up to the top of the stairs and I continued to shoot my video for eight minutes at the top of the stairs until a man came out of the building and he said, they've cleared Congress. Everyone's left the building. Move out, move out. And at that point, I turned around and I, and I left. But I mean, I can tell you, it could have so easily been extremely confusing for so many people to, I, I, I can tell you, it, it would have been very, very difficult for anyone to figure out on their own. You know, you're not allowed to do this. When you, as the doors are open and you've got people shouting out, they've opened the doors, they're letting us in. It, it could have been very, very easy, I think, for just about anyone to make the decision to walk inside and want to take a picture, look around, you know, what have you. And thank God I didn't. I mean, things would have been much, much worse if I had gone inside. And I sit around. I think I've thought about this many times. I can't remember why I didn't. 
but I didn't thank God. But I mean, it, it, it could have been much, much worse if I had made that decision. All right, folks, that's Brandon Strock. His website, Brandon Strock, with an A at the end, Brandon Strock, S-T-R-A-K-A dot com, founder of the Walkaway Campaign, hashtag Walkaway Campaign. Check out the movie American Prisoner. Uh, it's coming out, or the final part of it comes out this Sunday. I want to make sure you watch it. Um, I, I watched the, the one clip that I, I saw today, and it was very moving, and I think everybody should watch it because why not? It's five minutes. What do you have to lose? And uh, yeah, get involved, right? It's uh, it's one of those things. Brandon Strzok, final word to you. Yeah, uh, well, I'll just say if anyone wants to watch those videos, uh, they can find them on Twitter, Facebook, Getter, Truth Social, YouTube, and Rumble. And really exciting news, thanks to Elon being back, I think Twitter has now removed the search ban that was on my nice. account for two and a half years. Yeah, so if you go and you actually look me up on Twitter, you can find me now for the first wow. time in years. So please do. Please give me a follow. Find me on Twitter and watch those videos and share them. Please share, share, share. Yep, that's at Brandon Strzok, and that's Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A, silent A at the end there. Brandon Strzok, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work, and looking forward to speaking with you again. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate it. You got it, brother. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back, America. Welcome back, amigos. I am Rich Valdez. The phone number again, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And uh, we're talking about January 6th, and really it's because Aunt Alexandria Pelosi uh, made all these comments, right? So she she um, was caught on tape in a video saying these. And again, I don't think she said anything that was wrong, per se. It's just very different, and I'd say diametrically opposed to what her mom and the rest of her Democrat friends are saying. And it's just interesting, in my opinion, to say the least. But there's another clip, the final clip here. And I think it's um, it's really uh, it encapsulate, encapsulates everything really well, because ultimately what she's saying here and what she's discussing with this uh, other January 6th defendant that she's interviewing, she's saying and he's saying nobody's really going to care about this once there's no Democrats shining a light on it. Listen to this. Well, I think the one thing, if you drag it out, after the Democrats lose the House, yeah, yeah. and then they get rid of the committee, right. people may lose interest. Yeah. The first trials are going to get a lot of attention. Yes. It's like anniversaries. The first one is right. a big deal. Then right. it's a really big deal. Right. January 6th, right. no one's going to care after the Democrats right. are out of power. Right. And then take Biden out of office, then who cares? If you drag it out long enough, I wouldn't go first for a trial, because D.C. is a lot of people that work for the government. Right. And it's a lot of. I don't well, think that's, 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 that's the jury. That's the jury. Issue is we we don't need the trial should be held there. And well, if you got to move, you totally get off. I, I wish they uh, successfully, successfully move it. No, they won't move it. Because, I mean, think about it. They'll, they'll resist it. They'll say how I've heard of the hearing. Yeah. The, they're going to say how dare you say we're not we're not fair. We're fair. And then it's very the last time the government moved the trial was the Oklahoma City bomber. They agreed to move it to Colorado. So 
There we have uh, Alexandra Pelosi being, in my opinion, honest and fair. Uh, I think everything she said was true, that, you know, how are you going to get a fair shake? Everybody that's going to make up a jury in the District of Columbia is likely to be a government worker, and um, they tend to skew to the left. So I think she's calling them like she sees them, and she's being honest, and she's being fair. And it was refreshing to hear that, that from somebody other than a conservative commentator or somebody like that, but a real fly-on-the-wall approach from the speaker's daughter, or then-speaker's daughter. So... um, Chew on that for a little bit. We're going to continue talking about that in open phones. But straight ahead, we're going to have a conversation about this quarter-life crisis and what that means for women in their 20s. What's going on with all this anxiety they're experiencing? So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join this national conversation live and late night with us, it is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Now, uh, of course, I want to welcome you to the show. Uh, today is a uh, is a, one of those bittersweet days. Today's uh, the day that um, Rush Limbaugh died. And a big shout out to El Rushbo. And in, in, in honor of that, I always like to say, you know, I identify as a radio man. And as a radio man, I have uh, pronouns. My pronouns are El Macho. El Macho is in honor of El Rushbo. And uh, it's also my mom's birthday. My mom has dearly departed. She went to be with the Lord, I don't know, 12 years ago. So it was a rough day today, but we continue to soldier on. Interesting factoid. My mom went to be with the Lord the night of her birthday. So both her birthday and her death day are one in the same. Um, And she shares this with Rush Limbaugh. So I want to share some headlines with you. Senator Fetterman, John Fetterman, Pennsylvania, he's scheduled to spend weeks in the hospital for depression treatment and has no plans to resign. Meanwhile, the White House doctor claims that Joe Biden, the president, is fit to serve despite performing zero cognitive tests. So I don't know how reliable these assessments are anymore, but we're going to continue to look at things. And one of the things I want to look at is Uh, anxiety and anxiety disorders and how they're affecting people. Something like 20% of Americans are currently affected by anxiety. And uh, there was a term that I I read that I thought was fascinating uh, that women in their 20s are facing something called a quarter life crisis. And I said, I don't know what that is. And we need an expert to explain it to us. So our expert is Teresa Lusk. Uh, you can get her at Teresa, excuse me, TeresaLuskShow.com. She's the author of four books, including Girl Preach. Teresa Lusk, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Rich. It's a pleasure to be on with you tonight. 
Likewise, thank you for joining me. I'm, I want to dig right into this, and uh, it seems like you, you are in the know on what's going on with um, all of these facts and figures and, and the issues surrounding um, anxiety and all of this and how it's affecting women, in particular in their 20s. I happen to have one. I have a daughter that's 21, so I found this particularly interesting. Tell us more. Uh, Rich, you are correct. So women seem to be the ones who are being uh, diagnosed with a lot of anxiety and depression, things of that nature. I heard you say 20%. I was reading it was about 23.4% of females. Yeah, even higher. uh, Yeah, versus 14% of males. And this is, uh, of course, in women around their 20s. And it's not surprising, though, Rich, you know, um, there's so much going on. Uh, I just think that uh, there's many different factors that contribute to that. Um, We can say, you know, first of all, life change. You know, when you're a a female and you're in your early 20s, there's a lot of life changes going on. And we don't even realize the pressure that... um, goes on. I mean, I think, I think we, we do in general, but when you break it down individual by individual, there's so many decisions that young females are having to make. They're thinking about work. Um, you know, usually about that age, you're having to be a little more independent. So now you're thinking about, okay, um, I've got to be able to keep this job because it pays my rent. I'm now committed to an apartment. I'm Mm -hmm. committed to a, a, you know, a roommate, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the things. Um, The other thing is relationships, balancing relationships. You know, we don't think about that, but when you go from high school to now you're, you're a young adult, you're going to college. Now there's a whole new set of relationships that you're having to form. And um, that can be very stressful um, on women at at young 20s. Now, Other things? these these yeah, things ahead. make sense. I just want to clarify here, though. That none of that's new, though, right? I mean, for forever, we've always had, um, whether men or women, right? They've, they've always had um, bills that they've had to pay as they're coming of age and, and um, relationships that they have to maintain, whether they're professional or engaging in a new relationship, you know, meeting the, the man or woman of their dreams. Why do you think in particular, and in particular now, uh, this is affecting women so much? young women in particular. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's pressure. It's, it's how someone processes life. You know, I'm, I'm in my forties and I see the difference between my generation and the younger generation. We had it more, it was, it was sink or swim, (laughs) you know, for our, it seems like, you know, you just did it. You just did it. Yes, it was hard. Um, I think that there's just a little bit different, even in how we have the, the, the parents have raised the children of, of the 20 year olds. And, you know, um, I think, um, we have maybe enabled them a little bit more. And I know that's hard mm. to hear sometimes, but those are, that's the reality. Is, that would make a lot more sense though, <laughs> because, you know, it's oh, not like ab- they're dealing with newer problems. They're dealing with the problems we all went through, but it seems like it's hitting them that much harder. Correct. Yes. And, you know, um, I've been doing some um, research and interviews as well for, for uh, girls or around the teenage age mm-hmm. having to do with social media. I think even that can play a part. There's a lot of different sure, p- huge part. things that are, that are now, yeah, like technology. 
Um, so yes, we, we have had the same responsibilities all along, but I think there's different things that are contributing, starting with how, how have we parented? Um, I think that, um, you know, we, we maybe protected them a lot more. I can see it in my own parenting. I see it in, in people close to me. I see it in just in general, we parent differently. So that has shifted a lot of the way we think, even in, if you think about the education system, um, you know, how we shelter the kids from a lot more, from a lot more things, yet they're somehow accessing a lot more uh, unhealthy things. Yes. So can we fully pin it down? I don't know, Rich. Those are just my um, professional opinions. Sure. And I just want to say, and the reason I'm curious about it is because a couple of days ago, maybe three or four days ago, we, um, we, I, I read this um, NBC News piece that I thought was very um, just super telling. And it, the, the headline was that the CDC has a new report, and they're saying that teen girls in particular were caught in this wave of sadness and violence and that they were experiencing um, suicidal thoughts and uh, an unprecedented level of hopelessness that they hadn't yeah. seen in something like 10 years, and it was up like 24%. You know, so then I see uh, what we're talking about now, where you're saying mm-hmm. that girls tend to suffer from anxiety at a higher level. And I'm thinking something's changing somewhere, whether it's parenting, whether it's social media, whether something mm-hmm. somewhere is, is causing this, because the life itself may change somewhat, but it seems like there are external influences that may be more, and they're more targeted at girls. Absolutely. Well, I will tell you, I actually read that uh, study and I've uh, been able to speak on that. Uh, I really believe that um, social media, I believe, affects females and males differently. Uh, Mm. When you look at when you look at social uh, when you look at social media and you look at you start watching reels. Women are bombarded with how can you make your body look better? And this has been going on forever. The difference now is, though, that you are constantly bombarded with it. When I was in my 20s, we didn't have access to the videos we have now. Every other video that I watch, like if I scroll through my Instagram in the evening and whatever, Mm -hmm. the videos that are constantly popping up are of women who have gone through a, a serious amount of surgery to make a tiny waist, a huge bottom, you know, right. And the it's not real. Is mounting. Right. It's not real. And, but women, we, we have this crazy unhealthy, unless you've dealt with your mind and your soul, et cetera, to, to be accepted, to look great, to feel good. And so when you're constantly flipping from one video to the next to the next, and these girls have gone, and I'm not even picking on them, but the truth is, I don't even know what percentage of these women, what you're seeing, it's not real. But it does make you go, oh, this is not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing good enough. Uh, Whatever I'm trying to do to, to make myself feel better, if I'm eating healthier, if I'm going to the gym, I'm still not going to meet that image that's being fed to me over and again because there was surgery involved in that. So oh, yeah, a whole bunch of it. Study. Yeah, you, you take the study that you were mentioning about the young girls. Mm-hmm. It's tied to the social media aspect of it, which, by the way, it does not discriminate the women in their 20s. And it does not discriminate older women either. And by the way, I don't even think it's only to females. I think it happens to males as well. But females, um, you know, it, it, even makeup videos, if you think about it, every other 
video out there is how to how to contour your face and make right. yourself look completely different than who you are. <laughs> that's the message we get. That's yeah. true. I've never really watched one of those for myself. So yeah, I could see how that affects <laughs> girls in a different way. Let me just remind everybody that we're on with Teresa Lusk. Check out her website at TeresaLuskShow.com. That's Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, Lusk, L-U-S-K, show.com. And we're going to continue this conversation with her. And I think it's a fascinating one. And we're also going to talk about what the quarter life crisis is and uh, what's going on with Gen Z workers and why they're having so many mental health issues. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, or at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're here with our guest, Teresa Lusk. Uh, TeresaLuskShow.com is her website. And I just wanted to, again, to put a nail in this here because um, I'd never heard of the quarter life crisis, but apparently that's what's happening and triggering all of this anxiety. Uh, with all of these these young women. And if we pivot from there and we go to this uh, other news where it's more than half of Generation Z workers are reporting mental health issues because they're burnt out. Teresa Lusk, tell us more. Yes, Rich. They are burnt out because there are so many different things that they're dealing with. Um, I mentioned before the break that we uh, maybe saw some different styles of parenting. But another thing that I believe is affecting this younger generation is that if you think about it, they've been taught to research everything. Hmm. And when they're, 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 they're driven by information, more and more information, more and more and more. When they can't, and, and they take it like the gospel, a, a lot, yeah. most of them, I'm not going to say every single one of them, but this, the, this generation, they do. Uh, if you look at the way it's that on they- on the internet, um, it's got to be real. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so what happens is they formulate their, their foundations for life, their mindset, expectations, et cetera, et cetera, based on the information that's gone out. And unfortunately, they're not even, you know- People love to say, well, it's it's science-based, it's research-based. Well, that doesn't always mean it's the best information. Um, right. But um, so they build this internal expectation of themselves that they've got to do it the way that they have learned through this information. So there's so much pressure besides the things such as social media and such as life and such as um, now that they may be being a little too protected from too many things. They're not being taught how to handle stress. It's a, it's more like, let me protect you from stress versus let me teach you how to deal with it. But also they build in that internal system of, Hey, I've got to do life this way. And if it's not looking this way, if my boss isn't dealing with me the way that I read, they should be the way they should be protecting me, taking care of me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, I think it just creates an internal stress. Yeah, and a and, pressure and, that, yeah. 
I'm just thinking, and one that's, it's like a cycle, right? So it's like every time now I'm just going to keep having these meltdowns and these explosions because I'm incredibly overwhelmed because you're so poorly equipped to deal with like the reality of life. And that's, that's got to come not only just from the parents, but I think wherever they went to school, which is probably public school, um, that has gotten softer on, on teaching people to be stronger is for lack of a better word. Absolutely. Well, and you're going somewhere with that because that is what we're seeing. You know, that in the schools, in the colleges, universities, you know, we're creating quote safe spaces instead of just going, guys, here's some ways to deal with life, but this is life and we can't break down. And I know that that may sound insensitive to a lot of people, but the reality is if we don't start equipping this younger generation and the generations to come about how life how life can be hard and yeah. you can't be protected from it always. So what do you do? Like everybody else through a hard time, you build an inner strength and hopefully some wisdom when you deal with some wise people in your life that can help you deal with things. Another thing is a lot of these uh, younger people also, this younger generation, they, there's a lot of things they keep to themselves. Um, there isn't as much sharing, you know, somebody um, in my age group, older group, you know, we might be okay with going out and talking to a counselor about things. Uh, some of these younger generation uh, kids, they, they hold it in for a while there. That goes back to some of the suicide uh, right. rates and ideation. Yeah. Um, because hard. yeah, it is, it is, it is absolutely. Let me just remind people we're on with Teresa Lusk. Uh, she is the author of girl preach and several other books. Uh, Teresa, what do you, uh, you know, as, as an observer of all of these things, um, what's your recommendation to everybody that's listening? That's like, you know, I have a 17 year old daughter and a 21 year old daughter. And I know on many occasions, uh, I'm the bad guy because I say things that I, I, I acknowledge they're wrong. I don't know how to handle it sometimes, (laughs) you know, like when they, they start crying and I'm like, you're 18, you can't cry anymore. You've got to just do it. You gotta just go, just go to work and just breathe. It's going to be okay. You know, like I've had so many of these moments and they just look at me like, you're an ogre, you're a monster, you're so rough. But I, I just tell them, if not me, who, right? Because somebody else is going to be an ogre and monster and rough with you. And uh, at least you know I love you. But but and I don't know if that's the right approach, but I do know that we need to be better at equipping our children. And, you know, what's your, um, you know, 30 seconds, what's the best advice you give? Well, I'm with you and I get it. And I parented a lot more like you and I got the same type of response. And the deal is as much as we would like to train our, our younger generations, how to deal with things the way you and I did and our older generations, the truth is they have their own language. So we're going to have to kind of meet in the middle. We're going to have to be a little more gentle in our approach, but still real, still say, Hey, this is real life. These are things that really happen. What are some things that you can start doing to work these hard moments out, to deal with the stress, what are some some guidelines that you can form for yourself uh, so that when you're feeling so stressed out that you can't handle life, here are the steps you're going to follow. But also you start accepting and understanding that life does look challenging at times, but you make the best of it in this way, that way, et cetera. So we have to kind of meet in the middle with the way that they speak and then uh, with the reality of our experience and try to bring it to the table without making them feel less than or picked on, but still keeping it real, Rich. We have to. We still have to be real with them. 100%. That's excellent advice. Teresa, that means they, uh, they're they kicking me out when they're playing the music. But uh, I want to invite you back sometime soon, and I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Teresa Lusk. Yeah, 
Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. Folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversation about personal finance and how to make money with your family. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and uh, I want to talk about the, the current state of affairs, right? Because we talk about the news of the day all the time, and one of the things that we're we're dealing with right now is inflation. Inflation is a, a very big topic for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, Bloomberg today is reporting that the Federal Reserve can't reach two percent inflation without crushing the economy. Uh, so this is going to be difficult, right? You have to cr- trigger a recession to bring down inflation in a very aggressive way to try and normalize things. And this obviously affects both businesses and families the same way. Everybody's dollar is worth less, not worthless, but worth less. And and we have to figure out how to get around, right? So typically we look at the the angle of, you know, what's going on with monetary policy, but we don't spend enough time, I think, uh, focusing on monetary policy in your home and in your personal life and what's going on with you. And that's why I wanted to bring in our guest, uh, the author of It's Not About the Money, A Proven Path to Building Wealth and Living the Rich Life You Deserve, Scarlett Cochran. Welcome. Hi. Excited to chat. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about your book and um, really, I guess, dig into um, – why it's not about the money, I guess the namesake of the book, um, and, and also really kind of, the, as best you can, lay out this proven path to building wealth and living a rich life. Well, it's not about the money because it's about the life that you want to create. So many of us, the way that we have learned uh, about managing money is a very reactionary approach. We look at what our finances look like right now. We look at how much money we're making right now and we make all of our decisions just in the present moment, putting out present fires. But we need to get into the habit of asking ourselves what we actually want our money to do for us, what we want to be able to do financially so that we can start making decisions based on our own personal financial goals. And in terms of the proven path, it's all about, again, deciding what you want your money to do for you, understanding the way that money works, and then creating that plan and building the financial habits that make it work. All right. So let's, um, um, let's talk about what this path looks like and, and how you make it work for you. Once, uh, I guess, the, the first step is really figuring out what you want to do. Do you want to buy a home? What kind of investments do you want to have? Um, that type of thing. But once you've gotten there, I don't know if you address that in the book as well, like helping people towards deciding what investments work best for them. But what's the first step that, you know, we have listeners all over the country that that might uh, and and of all ages. And I'm thinking I want them to walk away with a really good sense of 
of of what they can get out of the book. And because I think this is a, an incredibly important topic, and you, you lay it out really well. So what's their, their first step? Well, so their first step is deciding what they want their money to do for them. So what kind of life do they want to live? And in particular, because we as humans are often very – uh, challenge when it comes to thinking about our future selves and making decisions for our future self. Again, we're very present focused. One of the exercises that I walk you through in the book is what I call the 100 year old exercise, where you're thinking about yourself, you're 100 years old, you're at the end of your life, and you're looking back on the life that you lived. And you feel nothing but joy and contentment because you created a rich and fulfilling life. You had the kind of impact that you wanted to have in your life. You're leaving the kind of legacy behind that you want to leave behind. What did that life look like? And that exercise does two things. One, it helps us set financial goals. And two, it really connects us, our present self at our current age to our future self, which makes it that much easier for us to make decisions, which means saving, investing instead of spending now so that we can create that future for ourselves. And that's number one. And many of us don't think of our finances that way. We're just looking at where the next bill is coming in that we need to pay and our mm -hmm. kid needs new sneakers for school. But the problem is, again, when you're just putting out financial fires today, then that stops you from making the decisions that you need to make for your long-term self. So you've got to connect to that long-term self, and then you've got to set goals in alignment with that long-term self. All right. So you're saying that that first step is really figure out what you want your money to do for you, whether it's saving money, whether it's investing that money, and get into a habit so that you can build moving forward. Right. And your habits, they are multifaceted. You have to, when you're creating your long-term plan, let's say we're talking about retirement and you've decided that retirement for you looks like, let's say, having a homestead on some land, which uh, many of our members inside of Wealth Builder Society, that's their goal. And so then you, uh, you can look into how much would that plot of land cost? What would that homestead look like? How much land do you need to have to be able to farm and have uh, uh, livestock to support you for the rest of your life? And then now you have a concrete number that you're aiming for, but then you've got to break that down into manageable chunks. How can you start saving money towards that goal every single month, every single week, every single paycheck? And that's going to involve changing your day-to-day -day spending habits, looking at where your money is going now and thinking about how you can start shifting the way that you spend on default so that you're able to hit these longer-term goals without feeling deprived. Because when we deprive ourselves, we then put ourselves in a position where we're relying on pure motivation and willpower. And that's fine for very short-term goals. But when we're talking about goals that can take us years or even decades, you want to make sure that you're creating goals and setting up systems that are really easy for you to stick to, which means that deprivation and cutting your spending to the bones, not only is that unrealistic, but it just doesn't work long-term. 
All right, folks, we're on with Scarlett Cochran. She's the author of It's Not About the Money, A Proven Path to Building Wealth and Living the Rich Life You Deserve. Uh, we're going to continue with this conversation and her three keys to create the money plan that you'll actually stick to and enjoy it in the process. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos, welcome back. Our guest is Scarlett Cochran. She's the author of It's Not About the Money, A Proven Path to Building Wealth and Living the Rich Life You Deserve. We talked about her three keys to create a money plan that you actually enjoy sticking to. And the first one was start to build a best practice, to, to build a habit and in savings and whatnot. And the second one was setting meaningful savings goals. Uh, and I think that's really important because, you know, I think these things are often overlooked. Uh, Scarlett Cochran, what is uh, the, the third step in the process? Well, the third step in the process is actually looking at your finances, looking at your numbers and knowing how much you're spending, how much you're bringing in and whether or not you're actually on track. So many of us practice what I call mental money math, where we have a sense of this is how much we're spending. But in reality, when you sit down and you look at it, you actually crunch the numbers. People are frequently surprised at all of the different money leaks that are in their budget every single month that they weren't even aware of. And the minute they become aware of that, then they're able to take action on purpose to shift their spending towards the things that actually matter to them. In your experience, um, what, what do you, what do you see works best for, for, for any myriad of people, uh, real estate investments or um, long-term stock investments? Well, when it comes to choosing your investment strategy, there are many different factors that you want to consider. Number one, which investing strategy intrigues you the most? So, for example, and, and each has its pros and cons. So real estate investing, in the beginning, you may be actively managing your own real estate portfolio. You're going to be learning about, um, you know, managing properties and property law and contracts and dealing with tenants and housing repairs. And if that's not something that you already are familiar with, then you have to ask yourself if you, one, want to take such an active role in the growth of your investment, and two, if you want to take the time to learn that. Compared to, let's say, passive stock market investing, you absolutely can have a set it and forget it strategy where you're only checking in on your investments quarterly or annually or twice a year, and your money is growing on autopilot. But it does mean that you're going to have to take some time to understand stocks and investments and index funds and understand all of how all of that works. You have to 
understand the math behind it to make sure that you're on track because yes, you may need to pivot your investing strategy depending on how the market conditions and how far away you are from retirement. So either way, there's going to be a learning curve, which is okay, but you get to decide what which one appeals to you and then you do that one because they both work. Right, right. And I think that's a very interesting point. I was just uh, having a, a sidebar conversation during the break with our producer, and we were talking specifically about that. It, I think personality weighs in on this where you have to figure out what really works for me, my lifestyle, my personality, what I like to do versus what I don't like to do. Uh, because if I think if you get into something that you can't commit to and can't keep up with, then it's clearly just not going to work as well for you. Right. I know for myself and my husband, we love real estate. We've always been homeowners. We're DIYers. We understand how property works. Uh, we're both attorneys. I was a banking and finance attorney, so I understand mortgages and the financial transactions. Yeah. And so we decided to rent out a property. We were also investing in the stock market and to diversify. We decided to, when we bought another house, to keep our other house and turn it into a rental property. And it was a nightmare experience for us. We had tenants that tore the place up had dogs, smoked, and just that one experience soured us from being landlords ever again. We're just not really interested in holding real estate properties for rent ever again. (laughs) (laughs) One bad experience, that'll do it. And that's always what I think too. I'm thinking it'll be my luck that that'll happen to me. Folks, we're on with Scarlett Cochran. She's the author of It's Not About the Money. And uh, we're going to come straight back to her because I want her to tell us about her website. It's OneBigHappyLife.com. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So make sure you get a copy of the book. Get two copies if you can. Give one to a friend. It's definitely great advice. And our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. Our guest, Scarlett Cochran, uh, the book, It's Not About the Money, and her website, OneBigHappyLife.com. Scarlett, tell us about OneBigHappyLife.com. Well, the idea is that life isn't just about one thing, but money touches on all of them. And I say that how you manage your money is how you live your life. But also your day-to-day life really does impact how you spend your money. So your daily routines, how much sleep you're getting, um, whether you have time for hobbies and time to rest impacts what you, how you spend. I mean, so many of us are familiar with coming home for, after a long commute and not having anything planned for dinner. And so then we eat out unexpectedly, even though we weren't planning for that. We hadn't budgeted for that. So that's why I look at finances holistically. You have to also take control of your life if you want to be able to take control of your finances. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, you're describing me to a T, by the way. I always go, "Oh shoot, I didn't think of this. Oh, let's just spend money here. Let's buy this. Let's buy that." And next thing you know, you're spending way more than you wanted to, or you're looking. You're like, "How do I spend all that money?" That's how. Not planning, and uh, that's you know the old adage: if you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail, and that's that's the truth. So, what can people find on your uh, website, OneBigHappyLife.com? Well money tips to help them create a better financial life. They can get the one-year spending plan, which is my absolute favorite way to budget. It's how I recommend that everyone budgets, where you budget for your entire year at once. So no more holiday spending catching you off track because you've been planning for your holiday spending since January. You can Mm -hmm. also find tips on how to build better routines, how to improve your money habits, how to find, make more time in your day for the things that matter and how to be intentional with both your money and your time so that you're creating a fulfilling life. And I understand there's a YouTube channel involved. Is there a link to the YouTube channel on OneBigHappyLife.com? Yes. Right up at the top header, if you click the show, you'll see all of our most recent YouTube videos there, but also we're on YouTube at One Big Happy Life. We're also on Instagram at One Big Happy Life. And on all of the platforms, we share uh, a wide variety of uh, information and tools, all designed to help you create the rich and fulfilling life that you desire. That sounds pretty good to me because uh, I think people... um need to uh, engage in this type of thing and, and really um, kind of uh, take it by the horns. Unfortunately, financial literacy falls by the wayside for so many people. And I think um, a resource like this is a valuable one. Scarlett Cochran, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Check her out at onebighappylife.com and her book, It's Not About the Money. Scarlett, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. All right, folks, now straight ahead, we're going to get into a bunch of things tonight because we've got open phones across America. Open Phone America is obviously one of my uh, favorite things to do on this program because, well, because I get to talk to you. And we've got stations across the country, callers across the country, topics all over the place. And these are included, right? We've got this personal finance stuff that we talked about, which was really eye-opening for me. I I can't get enough of this stuff, honestly. And uh, our conversation about young girls and the the anxiety that they're facing, as well as the the Gen Z population and how they're just, um, they're getting burnt out and suffering from a higher rate of mental health issues than anybody else. And of course, what we uh, started out with, with the... uh, January 6th stuff, whether it's Alexandria Pelosi and uh, and Brandon Strzok's new video. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that we, I want to talk about, and I've got a bunch of stories I want to share with you. So I want to make sure that you're uh, on deck, tuned in, whatever wording you want to use. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great next hour tonight. And again, that phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. <clears throat> Now, one more thing that I wanted to do, I wanted to tease a story because there's a bunch of things I wanted to get to. And one of the things was from the other night and um, a little bit uh, interesting story here. Uh, But a university is urging students to report what they're calling race-related stress. Now, this is interesting because 
some people don't want to get called on in class. And if they get called on by the teacher, then they feel like this is race-related stress. And it's interesting to me what we can consider an act of racism or intolerance. Uh, you know, it, it to me, this is a, there's a high degree of frivolity here, in my opinion. But again, what do I know? You know, so we're going to cover that as well. Uh, along with your calls and and interesting stories, because there's always interesting stories from our callers. And uh, you'll get the scoop on this. And just a little hint here, or a little tease. Uh, This happened, yep, in California. Of all places you would think this is going to happen, of course it's happening in California. The only other place that something like this would happen is New York City. So keep it locked right here. Hour number three is underway. If you're just joining us and this hour is your first hour, then it's hour number two for you. But this is the third hour of the show. And the phone number again is 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's Open Phone America here on America at Night. I am Rich Valdez. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, 833-482-5337, our legacy line, if you want to call on that one, 866-505-4626 or 833-4-VALDEZ. And that's Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on the social media. I uh, love reading the comments from people, even even the mean ones, I read those too. But uh, I love to connect with you guys. Uh, great commentary, both on the phones and online, whether it's um, Twitter or Facebook or Truth Social or Getter, Instagram. Uh, I really enjoy connecting with people, and it's always at Rich Valdez with an S. Now, before the break, I mentioned a, a story, and uh, I was running around, forgive me if I'm out of breath, and the the story was about this race-related stress at college campuses, in particular Cal State Monterey Bay, which is urging students to report any race-related stress, like not being called on in class. Let's say you want to answer and the teacher doesn't call on you. That could be a race-related stressor. So uh, this is interesting, but the folks at uh, California State University Monterey Bay, their personal growth and counseling center is offering tips on how students can cope with the burden of race-related stress and how this stress can lead to psychological distress and even physiological health problems. And here's a quote, listen to this. It is important to understand that you can experience race-related stress even if you were mistaken that a racist act occurred. So there could be no racism, but it's still race-related stress. And these reactions only require that a person believe that they were the target of racism. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, 
All you have to do is believe it. It doesn't even have to have to happen. <laughs> I can't get through this. Okay. So the center um, puts all of that on, on its website. If you want to check it out, I'll share this story on my social media so that you can see it. But they, they talk about dealing with things like trauma, and the university urges the students to document these acts of racism or intolerance and report them for, you know, whatever reason, whether it's teachers not calling on them in class or not offering a racially biased uh, or offering, excuse me, offering a racially biased curriculum. I mean, th- these are, you're opening these, these, um, Pandora's boxes and these rabbit holes that you really can't ever get out of. You know, if you're going to start alleging that people are doing something, but they're not doing it, but you just, the fact that you allege that they do it makes you in the clear somehow. I mean, that's, it's not good. It's not good at all. Anyway, uh, so that's what's going on with the race related stress. And I'm wondering, do we have any callers that have race related stress uh, when they call this program, because I am Hispanic, I'm brown, you see. They call me El Macho, not to be confused with El Rushbo. Let's go to Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KWOS. Bill, welcome, sir. Rich, how are you? I, I was really pleased that you reminded me of the two-year anniversary of Rush Limbaugh's death, one of my favorite guys. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. He was an uh, inspiration to so many. My mentor, the great one, Mark Levin, um, you know, learned a lot from Rush, and they were very close friends, and he got a lot of advice from him. And uh, I, in turn, also seek the advice of those that have come before me. So uh, nothing but respect for he who created this nationally syndicated genre in many ways of, um, of conservative talk, at least, especially during the daytime. Yes, it took me back to... Uh... Trump's State of the Union message in January 2020 when uh, uh, Rush was presented with the uh, Medal of Freedom Award by his oh, yeah. wife. And that, that was just awesome. Uh, and, of course, he's, he's, I really like the choice of him being buried in Bellefontaine Cemetery in St. Louis. What a great choice. He could have been buried, buried in uh, Cape Girardeau, but... Uh, he picked uh, this really famous cemetery there. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say that his grandfather was pretty famous, a uh, famous Missouri lawyer, and uh, he has a courthouse in Cape Girardeau named in his honor, not Rush's. And right, and they all had the same name. Yeah, right. Uh, all those guys were named the same. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's uh, – and I got a really nice uh, – plaque from Russia's wife, Kathleen, several years ago uh, when uh, he was buried in uh, Bellefontaine Cemetery. And, of course, he's in the Hall of Famous Missourians in our capital, and maybe I'll go by and see him tomorrow. Well, it sounds like the right thing to do at the right time, Bill. Now, let me ask you a question about this race-related uh, stress Have you ever experienced race-related stress when a teacher didn't call on you and you had the answer? Uh, I'm old enough that uh, things were a lot different there, and I didn't have any problem with that. (laughs) Have you ever experienced any race-related stress in anything you've done? Yes, at maybe Lincoln University one or two times, uh, which is... In Pennsylvania? 
No, in Missouri. It's it's ah. the uh, famous black, uh, whatever the name is for... Uh, HBCU, historic. Historically Black College or University. Yeah, yeah so anyway, uh, the, and that, that was just a trivial thing. So thank you. All right, Bill. Well, thank you for, for the call. And a big salute to L. Rushbow. And you know, it's interesting. I, I asked about Lincoln University because there's one in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and uh, Frederick Douglass actually was a, a student and alumnus of Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. And I actually did a semester there. And it was a very interesting one. It's just uh, they had a campus in Philly, uh, you know, like a, a downtown center. And uh, Philly was just a little far for me. It was a weekend course. And I, I did it there. And uh, I probably wouldn't do it again just because I had to drive all the way down the New Jersey Turnpike to get there. But uh, it was an interesting time. And I actually really enjoyed my time at Lincoln University. It was great people, great, great environment. It was actually really good. Um, but um, what was the best part about it was all the cheesesteaks you can get in Philly. And, you know, they're famous for, like, the Pats and Geno's, right, the two places that use the cheese whiz. But the reality is there's other places uh, that are, you know, equally as good or if not better with the cheese whiz and and the cheese steak, uh, the Philly cheese steak, the authentic Philly cheese steak. So uh, just putting that out there because um, it was interesting. Now, I also wanted to announce here that the Biden administration has called off the search for two missing unidentified objects that were shot down over Alaska. NORAD says, no mas, no mas. The decision to cancel the search came just days after a hobby group suggested one of the objects that was shot down was one of their Pico balloons. And uh, this is funny because I really do believe, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, I really do believe that Joe Biden puts on his aviator sunglasses and, you know, he just starts, you know, Pew, pew, pow, pow, you know, we're going to shoot him down. Jill, get me that shotgun. And he really gets carried away with this stuff so that he can have this, you know, posture as a as a tough guy, as a, you know, wartime president when, you know, he's nothing of the sort. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more straight ahead, plus the rest of your calls. Bill, again, thank you. 866-482-5337-866-833-482-5337. 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 5337 833 for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Now, uh, let's see here. There's so many things I want to talk about. I don't know where to start, but we were talking about the um, the Biden administration just calling it quits, throwing in the towel. No mas, no mas. We, um, we're no longer going to look for this thing. And here's the quote. U.S. Northern Command recommended that search operations conclude today near Dead Horse, Alaska on Lake Huron as search activities have discovered no debris from airborne objects shot down on February 10th and February 12th. The U.S. military, federal agencies and Canadian partners conducted a systemic uh, search of each area using a variety of capabilities, including airborne imagery and sensors, surface sensors and inspections 
and surface scans and did not locate debris, according to the joint statement. So uh, that's what's going on. Biden says no more. It's interesting, right? Check this one out. It reminds me of when Barack and, and Biden were, you know, in the White House back when he was vice president. And they said, you know, we had that we had a, I think we had an epidemic of um, what was that called? Jeez, I'm forgetting what that thing was called. Not Zika, but there was another one, Ebola. And uh, and they decided to say, you know, we're, we're going to stop testing. <laughs> we're just going to stop testing. And voila, once they stopped testing, that whole epidemic went away. <laughs> and it was just uh, so interesting. And, you know, they just said, oh, we're getting so many cases, we can't keep up with the testing, so we might as well stop. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, um, imagining, you know, if, if when Trump was in office, imagine Trump saying that, you know, folks, we've got too many cases every day. There's more and more cases. We're going to suspend uh, what, what we're tracking. And just like, people would be up in arms. And no way. Absolutely not. But uh, that's what they did when they were in office. And I just thought that was so rich in so many ways. Anyway, um, I will um, I got a lot of things to share on social media. So I'll be getting to that. But listen to this. Uh, well, before we get to that, let me get to some of your calls, because I know that you guys are patiently waiting and I do uh, appreciate your calls. Let's go to Alan. He's in Ravenna, Ohio, WNIR. Alan, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, what? Good morning, uh, Mr. Valdez. <laughs> Buenos dias. <laughs> um, you were talking about the race-related stress. Are you having any race-related stress right now, Alan? No, no. Okay. Because <laughs> so I was going to send but, you to a college in California. Go right ahead. <laughs> Maybe I can call them, huh? Um, there was an issue. Yeah, yeah, everybody was talking about this. Uh, oh, uh, businesses have to. They have to. They can't hire. You know, the full staff cannot be white. Everybody's got to. They have. Yeah, you have to diversity. diversity, right? Yeah, even if they don't make the quota or something. So. I was in a or I'm thinking even worse. What if you live in a white neighborhood, you know, and, and you just you can't find anybody who's not white? What do you got to do? Start importing people to, to meet this this rainbow spectrum type of thing? I mean, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Go, go right ahead. I was in a uh, temporary um, working for a company, a very good, very great company. Um, I was hoping, you know, being an electrician, it's kind of like a retirement job for electricians to be working there. And uh I was trying to get into the company. They 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 get you in temporarily, see how you work, and then hire you in full time. Um, trying to get into this position, mm-hmm. and a position opened up. And this whole time, I'm thinking um, people are com- coming at me like, you know, they got to hire diversity and diversity. And I'm listening to this on YouTube videos, and you know, and so I don't make the slot, but the slot does go to a person of color, a black guy. Okay. So I felt like, Oh, they only hired it. They only gave it to him because of diversity. Now, why would you think that right off the bat? Not that is there, did he give you any inclination that he wasn't qualified? No, no, there was no inclination. There was, there was, there was the thing. I was, it was so embedded that, that, oh, that 
I'm thinking. Oh, I see. Right. So you're thinking, all I do is watch the news and they keep telling me this and this and this and this, that all of a sudden when anything happens right away, I think it's because of that when you don't even know if it's because of that, because it's been drilled into your head. I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was, I was getting right. flustered for no reason. Right. Right. I get it because you were watching the news. <laughs> and the news told you, you got to get upset because there, there's somebody getting slighted somewhere when, you know, when there's a white guy and a black guy and it's, there's no way this is wrong and this is absolutely wrong. And listen, I get it. And the people, this is how they, they, this is how they gaslight Americans where you take people that are well-intentioned and they really have no problem with anybody. And all of a sudden they, they start thinking and they're like, oh, if I do this, am I going to offend somebody? If I do that, am I going to offend somebody? And it's just, you know, it, and it happens with everything. It's not just race. It's, it's a gender. It's, it's so many things. You feel like you're walking on eggshells because you, you're going to say the wrong thing at any given time. And it, it's because we're, we're little by little every day, there's indoctrination. There's people on the news telling us what to believe and how to believe and how to speak and how to think. And uh, it seems like liberty is fleeting and that's lamentable, but it is where we are. Um, thanks, Alan. I appreciate the call, brother, from uh, WNIR. I appreciate hearing from you. Feel free to call back anytime. Let us go to my buddy, Frank. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, K-O-F-I. Frank, what is on your mind tonight, sir? Well, this is a news. Uh, it's very big. It's bigger than Watergate. Uh, apparently, uh, my gosh, you couldn't believe it, but uh, this private you know, announcement, you know, of this, this attack on over, over that big balloon incident last week, you know, it was just, yes. it's, it's, it's been revealed that it's now called Elon gate. Elon gate. What'd he do? Well, apparently Biden walking the beach near Myrtle beach found an elongated toilet seat. <laughs> the oval, not the round. Yes, my God, it's, it's, it's incriminating. I mean, how dare he? My God, yeah, you know, but Biden's an interesting guy. He's, you know, he's a little odd, Frank. He's a little strange. So, you know, I, I could see him freaking out over a toilet seat. I could also see him wiping out when the the, the floor is flat and just falling off his bicycle. I mean, he's just, uh, he's kind of a special kind of guy, Frank. I know. <laughs> now, I want to know something, because I know, you know, the first balloon was hovering over your place, and then it was off to the other side, and then it went away and went here. Uh, these other two, um, what we're thinking are balloons, but other unidentified flying objects, um, did, w did you guys find any debris after these things were knocked out of the sky? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, nothing yeah, I mean, they said they shot them down over Alaska, but it seems like they were kind of light to begin with. So I'm thinking maybe they kind of, you know, floated their way and glided over to, to Montana maybe because nobody seems to be able to find them. And the Biden administration says, we're not looking for them anymore. We just can't find it. You think that's the right approach? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm not going to look in his backyard, though. <laughs> we should look in his backyard. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Uh, we've got calls from all over the place. Topeka, Kansas is coming in. I'm looking forward to that. And I want to also remind you that there was a teacher 
uh, a couple of uh, maybe two months ago, a trans teacher with sized Z breasts. They were prosthetic breasts. And uh, there was a biological male dressed as a woman with fake size Z, as in zebra, breasts that were just larger than life. Uh, Well, apparently, there's an update on this story and about this guy. Plus, find out what Canada is doing with coffee. You're scary. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and it's Open Phone America. Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. All right, we're going to go to your calls. Let's go to Pendleton, Oregon. K U M A. Michael, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, yes, good evening, Rich. Hey, another great show as usual. Oh, thank um, you. I really enjoy your guests. And uh, it was, this was about a guest you had recently about our military situation. I yes. had a concern, and it was pretty sobering, um, how much our numbers our, of military people have gone down, and then the condition of our military equipment, uh, how we, you know, a lot of it was um, acquired in the 90s. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, 30 years ago. So that concerned me, you know, just as, you know, an average American, um, the condition of our military and, and the whole situation there with the number of people in the military. Um, and also kind of a tie into that, Rich, I know you were a supporter of President Reagan, and I was mm-hmm. a big supporter of his. And I thought he did such a, a great job building up our military and maintaining a strong military. And the other countries in the world, um, you know, they know if we have a strong military, of course, uh, particularly China and Russia, um, you know, they know how strong our military is. And so, you know, that concerns me. So I, I really appreciated your guest. And I'm trying to recall his name um, now. Oh, I think it was Lieutenant Colonel from? Dakota Wood, Michael. And he was uh, he's retired now, but he's with the Heritage Foundation. And they, they that's kind of his job there is to put together this like military report card to to assess the strength of the military. But you know, part of that conversation that we had, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's it's I think it's a very important topic. Was not just, you know, um having a lot of old equipment. And again, with the eight hundred billion dollars that we put into military, of course we have great equipment as well. Uh, much of it which we're or I should say some part of it which we're giving to the Ukrainians. But um and, and we're always building the the, the, the a better mousetrap, so to speak. Uh, but uh, it was it was shocking also to hear just the way they were treating the soldiers uh, or, you know, airmen and seamen. Uh, it was it was interesting, to say the least, because there's this whole um, new culture. And it, it, listen to this. I want to read you a headline. United States Navy to eradicate fitness test failures to improve the retention of sailors. Here's a quote from Rear Admiral James Waters, the third. He says, We don't want to punish sailors because gyms were closed during the pandemic. So they're now saying fitness standards can be eliminated uh, because we need to keep you in the military. And uh, listen, it's, it's because there was no gym for you to go to during COVID. 
I, I listen, I, I'm sure there are a lot of guys that go to the military and go to the gym. But everybody I know that went to the military, if they ever wanted to work out and they couldn't find a gym, uh, you know, it's, uh, adapt and overcome, right? Th- that's what they do. And so they're, they're going to find a way to work out. So I think this rear admiral's uh, statement is just, you know, I don't know. I think it's a poor one. But that's what's happening right now. Uh, and this happened uh, just yesterday. The United States Navy revealed that it was going to be erasing any physical fitness assessment failures from the sailors' records. And they're calling it a one-time reset. And it's being made by the Navy because uh, they're continuing to struggle with bringing in new recruits and retaining those that they already have. This is a big deal. So that's uh, the, the new policy. And under the policy, the, the sailors' records are going to be scrapped to show zero physical fitness assessment failures, if there ever were any that existed. And uh, this is uh, their policy, right? I'm pretty sure back in the days there was a few chubby guys that wanted to be in the Navy, and they were like, who do I pay to get in here? You know, now you just go and fail and get in. I mean, geez, this is just crazy. So you combine it with what you're talking about, Michael, where you say, um, you know, uh, we— it's problematic and it's a concern to you as an American citizen that we, we don't have the best of the best and we're not utilizing Reagan's mantra of peace through strength. And I have to agree with you because ultimately here's where we are. Look at this. Just let me read this one more thing. Quote from the Admiral. We don't want to punish our sailors because gyms were closed during the pandemic. We don't want to disadvantage the sailors. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Again, uh, I probably wouldn't pass this fitness test either. But my point is, we want our soldiers to be the best. We want our sailors to be the best, our airmen and Marines. We want them to be the best. Uh, The Coast Guard, uh, Space Force, you name it, we want them to be the best. And how can they be the best if if they're not, you know, trying their darndest and hardest here, if we're eliminating their failures? Right, Michael? Uh, You bet. And I... I believe you agree also, Rich. Yeah, I mean, when Reagan was there, the country's new. Uh, Reagan, you know, was serious about the military. We had a, he was, had built a strong military, and the other countries knew that. Yeah, it was that, that whole, uh, the, the, the whole idea of walking quietly while holding a big stick. And and that's just how that is. Sometimes you have to do that. You got to let people know, look, I'm not here for a fight, but trust me, you'll find one if you look for it. And and that's right. often enough to deter the fight. Right. Yes, I agree, Rich. You bet. You bet. Uh, well, yeah, I, he was a very good guest. You know, I really oh, yeah. Dakota listening. Wood. He's terrific. I thought you were say Reagan. I said, I wish I wish I had a chance to interview Reagan. That would be terrific. Anyway, Michael in Pendleton, Oregon, KUMA, thank you for your call. I appreciate you joining the program and being heard here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
All right, amigos, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Topeka, Kansas, KMAJ, AM 1440. George, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Rich, how are you? I appreciate you taking my call, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's an honor. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, well, kind of multifaceted. Um, first thing I, I wanted to touch on, um, kind of touching base with the, um, your last couple callers. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the the stigma of some of my mid thirties. I feel like the stigma of trade schools and uh, military is needs to weaken because those are. I, so I have 13-year-old twins, just to preface that. I own a small painting business. Um, and college was always, you know, the ultimate ultimate goal, right? Yeah. That was the only way to do it. Oh, for, for your 13-year-old twins? Yes. Well, yeah. I, mean, no, I, I know where you are. I, I totally get you. Graduating out, out of high school. High school. And, you know, I, I, and you see people around you that now – that at that time you're like, well, man, they're joining the military. Like, you know, you as know, if it was a, been... some sort of last resort. Yes, exactly. And right. And, and a lot of those, a lot of those people are doing very, very well. Sure. Um, a lot of people in tra- the trade schools are doing very, very well. Yep. And 100%. I feel like the, the stig, the stigma, um, of those schools. And I think, um, that curve has to eventually change. And I feel like the colleges, especially what they're what they're trying to promote now, a lot of them, I'd say 85 percent of them, um, isn't really going to get you much further in life than you could do without it. Well, you know what happens, George, um, is that the, the gig is up for a lot of people, right? Um, there's uh, uh, my opinion. There's two things going on here. One is I think you're a hundred percent right, and me personally. I went to trade school before I went to college and uh, I was a barber and I did really well as a barber. So, um, you know, and I think a lot of people don't realize how well barbers do and the cost of a haircut. Just think about that. The cost, the inflation on haircuts is probably higher than it is on cars right now. Uh, I talked to some of my barber buddies and these guys are making coin, really making coin. And they were making coin back in the day, but they're, they're really doing well. And I think part of that is because, it, it it really is a recession-proof business. Whatever recession we've been through, I've never met any of my barber buddies that suffered when there was a housing crisis in 2008 or nine. Uh, that's suffering now. You know, I mean, in, instead, people are skipping meals and, and eating cheaper food to make sure they have the money, their 35 bucks plus tip or whatever it is, to get their haircut. Because it, that that is a little piece of, of life for them that they don't, they're not willing to, to, to trade people, a lot of people are really into their appearance and that experience of going to the barber is an important one for them. So I, I get that. Um, you know, and, and with you, you're saying, look, you're making a living, taking care of your two teenage twins, uh, with your painting business. And that's great. I think it's fantastic that you're doing that. And, and I'm in the same boat. I've got a 17 year old that's looking at schools and she's kind of dragging her feet. Like, I don't know where I want to go. And I'm like, uh, drag them all you want. <laughs> you know, four years ago, I probably would have said, you, girl, you better stop right now. But right now I'm like, you know what, what what's, what's going to be the, the detrimental outcome unless she's, and she is, she's looking for a profession like, uh, 
a legal career. Uh, so she's going to need college for that. But my point is, if you don't need it, you don't need it. And it doesn't have the panache that it once did. Five, ten years ago, it was like, you're not going to get a bachelor's degree. You're going to be a loser forever. That's not even true anymore. And Just go to the Silicon Valley, and that's really where you'll see it most. Google doesn't even require them for most of their jobs. And I'm not saying people should work in big tech, but I'm just saying that there's a, a shift in the trend. Uh, I have a, a plumber buddy of mine. This guy's making, I think he's going to make two million bucks this year. Two million bucks. Every time I see him, he's got a different brand new car. Just got an Escalade. Uh, and he paid premium for it because they didn't have any many left, uh, or you had, they had one on on the lot that had the package he wanted, hundred and sixty k for a Cadillac Escalade, and I think they retail for ninety nine, but there was incredible markup and a few few uh, upgrades. My point is, people are making money, and this guy is is a plumber, so you know uh, I'm not putting down plumbers in any way. I'm just saying he didn't go to college. He went to trade school. He became a union guy, and he's doing really really well. And there's a lot of people out there that are doing really well. So if you know if my kids found a way to do really well without going to college, I would encourage that too. Uh, but I, I'm not going to discourage college. And I, I get what, what you're saying because, man, who can afford it? And that's the other point is eventually when you keep increasing the cost of higher education, you get to a point in the business world they call, and you can envision this as a graph quickly, um, you know, with a y-axis and an x-axis, um, there is a point of diminishing returns where you now spent so much money on your higher education that it doesn't make you any more money and it just becomes a liability rather than an asset. And, and even though people can't take your education away from you, um, they, they can take your income away from you <laughs> if you're spending all of it on a student loan. So I think, uh, I'm with you, you know, be judicious in your choices for school. Cause it's not what it used to be. Yep. And may I say one more thing? Sure, go right ahead. So as far as the the race relations you were talking about, so I I have... Oh, race-related stress. (laughs) Yes, there we go, there we go. So I've got, um, at my highest point, like I said, I'm a small business. I've had um, um, two white white guys, a Mexican guy, two black guys on my staff. Pretty uh, kind of, you know, everywhere there. Um, never had any problems. Um, very minor, very minor. Um, most of them are part time, except for one is full time. Now I've had to do layoffs um, with the winter time, and I had an injury, so I've kept my one main guy on, and I got. Uh, the race card pulled on me. <laughs> you kept the white guy. <laughs> no, I kept the Mexican guy. <laughs> <laughs> you kept the brown guy. How dare you? Listen, you got to keep the guy that gets you the, the best results and is going to make you the best money, understands the business. And that's just how it is. At least I would think so. If I was running a business, that's the guy you want to go with. Like, all right, I'm going to go with one that is, is, is been me the longest and makes me the most money. And right. it's like, man, it, it, it's so frustrating when it gets pulled on you. Um, right. I'm, 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 I mean, it doesn't matter, but I'm, you know, I'm half Mexican, half white. Like I'm, you know, it, it, well, it doesn't matter. But 
Right. It, it, I get your it point. Almost, it doesn't matter. But people want to bring it up. And, and it's it's offensive. It's rude. It's hurtful in many ways. You know, like uh, the, the guy that called earlier, I, I felt so bad. You know, he was like, you know, I started thinking, why did they hire this guy? They hired him as like a diversity. And he was like, why am I thinking like that? <laughs> and it's because this information doesn't go anywhere. Every day we hear about, you got to do this, you got to do that. And it, it really is, um, it's, it's just a fascinating uh, time to be alive, right? Where, I mean, uh, you're probably close to my age. The I'd never seen racism like slavery, like Jim Crow. I'd never seen that in real life. That was all gone by the time I was growing up. Um, but to see the the type of racism we have today where it's like, you know, no, I'm not even brown anymore. Once they find out I have some conservative values, they're like, ah, you're not even one of those. You know, it, it's just bizarre how people will get canceled if you just don't subscribe to to the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate, brother. I want to thank you for calling in, George, in Topeka, Kansas, KMAJ, AM 1440. Good luck with your business. Keep up the good work. I uh, hope you recover from your injury. And um, make sure your your guy that works for you brings in extra lunch because Mexican food is the bomb. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's get this in here. KXTL Phil Butte, Montana. Go right ahead, sir. Yes, how are you doing, Rich? I'm doing great, Phil. Thank you. Good. I'll make it quick. Uh, the last guy that was talking to you about trade schools and such, I'll, I'll make my story quick. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a machinist, tool and die maker by trade. I'm all retired now, of course, but I started out as a machinist apprentice. Kept my work, work. I just loved that kind of work. I kept working my way up. Went to California for a while. Worked down there. Worked in some aircraft. Shipyards, blah blah blah. Came back to Butte, and long story short, I ended up teaching machining, precision machining, and tool and die wow. work at the community college. And you couldn't even apply for the job unless you had five years' experience. That was more important than the college degree. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, just imagine, you know, I mean, it's, when you're talking about skilled trades, it, it's all about what you know how to do. Again, you can get a, all the college degrees you want. If you don't know what to do with a scissor and a comb or a pair of clippers, you can't be a barber, right? I mean, that's just the reality. And a lot of that, you need experience. You're going to pull out a straight razor and put it to somebody's neck. You, you need to know what you're doing. And the same thing with anything in, in the building uh uh, crafts. So I think uh, you're 100% spot on. There, there should never have been a a separation of, of people saying, oh, you're either going to do this or that. I think some people do this and some people do that. And we, we I think during the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a real push away from trade schools, away from any of the skilled trades, and really just uh, everybody has to be a professional. Everybody's got to work here. Everybody's got to do the same thing. And a lot of people followed suit, and I don't think that really worked. There's a lot of opportunity that was left on the table, and here we are, Phil. Well, 
Well, it, it gave me a good living for almost 18 years. Look at that. Now, um, it's freezing, um, probably, or at least close to freezing here in uh, in the New York area. I think it was it's probably the 30-something degrees. What's the weather like in Butte? I think the last time I looked, it was like 21. Wow. <laughs> I'll stick with my 30-something. All right, Phil, I want to thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. And uh, earlier I'd mentioned about this teacher, trans teacher with size Z prosthetic breasts. Well, it turns out she only dresses as a woman at school. He's a biological man dressing as a she. And uh, according to this person's neighbors, when they go out and about, they just dress like a man. And there's photographs of it, so I'll put this out on Twitter. You can take a look at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And that's it for this week, right? Next week, we've got a lot of guests coming up, a lot of really interesting conversation and your calls and more. Hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. This is America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.